Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North on this Monday, September 12, 2022. The beginning of a new era in conservative politics in Canada as we discuss the birth of the Pierre Polyev leadership, which came about on Saturday, 68% of the points in the race. So I want to speak about the conservative leadership in the context of what it means for the country, what it means for conservative politics with a capital C and a small c. But I also just want to begin, and I know that this may be something that we hear so repeatedly now, but I haven't done an edition of the Andrew Lawton Show since Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II died last week at 90. So I just want to add my personal contribution to this for whatever it may mean, and, and that is that you know, Her Majesty's reign, whether you're a monarchist or not, has been really a period of stability in Canada, in the Commonwealth, and around the world. And it's something that we are all the better for, I believe, as a country. Uh, you know, if we were to birth a new nation right now, would we pick a constitutional monarchy with a crown shared by the Brits? I don't know. But the fact is, it's the system we have, and it's one that's working for Canada, and it is one that I, I think we are tremendously blessed by. And whatever the future of the monarchy is in a Canadian context or in a global context, I don't know. But I do believe whatever my political misgivings about Prince Charles were, right now he is Canada's sovereign, King Charles III. And I, I do say with the most sincerity, God save the king. And I know there are some of you out there, as we've seen in the comments in our content in the past few days, that don't share that. That's fine. But we have to ex accept that Canada, as a relatively young nation, still has been very stable. And it wasn't just a, a flash-the-pan experiment of nation-building when we were birthed back in 1867, a continuation of Upper and Lower Canada, itself a, a continuation of an era before it in Canadian history. And it is the British crown that's been at the center of that since the very beginning of the Canadian experience as we know it today. So with that out of the way, I do want to speak about the new chapter we are experiencing right now in conservative politics in Canada. We had over the weekend a live show. I was anchoring it alongside my colleagues Sue Ann Levy and Harrison Faulkner. We had uh, Ellie Kenton-Nantel and Jasmine Moulton coming in from Ottawa. And Candace Malcolm uh, joined us from maternity leave, which we were very grateful for. And it was difficult to, in some ways, pretend that there was a little bit of suspense to what was going to happen. Because I think everyone knew and has known since February that Pierre Polyev was going to be the next conservative leader. We didn't know how decisive it was going to be, but we knew it was going to be him. Hank Marshall, who is on Pierre Polyev's campaign team, he was on the show on Saturday night. And he had said they expected him him to win with like 66.9 percent so they were, they were a little low because he won by 68.15 percent i think it was but i think we say that's within the margin of error so it's a very decisive win very decisive and i want to just contextualize this here because the media was basically putting forward the narrative that a Pierre Polyev leadership in the Conservative Party was going to be a death knell for conservatism. We, we've seen political cartoons right now that have said the... Uh, <laughs> that have said, basically, we are only going to see the death of moderates and only the hardline conservatives are going to be there. The Trumpian conservatism is what we've been told is here. And the word you're going to see everywhere the word you're going to see absolutely everywhere, and you already are in columns and TV panels, is populist. 
Now, I did a panel a couple of weeks ago, and I actually have a column I've been working on about this, about trying to understand what populism is, because I think a lot of people take for granted that it's a bad word, that it's a bad thing, that it's something we don't actually like and shouldn't embrace. But populism is essentially the will of the people. And there is something about Pierre Polyev's leadership that has tapped into a very populist sentiment, but I don't mean that in an evil, scary way. I mean that in a literal sense of he's talking about things that matter to real people. And when Justin Trudeau is doing like virtue signaling and all of this stuff about, oh, we have to go net zero and we have to do it more quickly. And, oh, we have to be all about the transgender washrooms and whatever. I mean, Pierre Polyev is talking about things that matter. He's talking about grocery store bills. He's talking about regulation and its effect on small business. He's talking about housing. And if you want to call that populism, I think it's actually the most pure manifestation of what populism is. And I'm not going to be one of these people that says, oh, well, Pierre Polyev being the leader means Justin Trudeau's done, or oh, Justin Trudeau's going to mop the floor with him. Elections are complex. They're not just about who the most deserving person is. They are about a lot of external and internal factors, and it depends very overwhelmingly on timing. If the election were held tomorrow, the result might be different than if it were held in two years or in three years, theoretically. So all of this is to say that Pierre Polyev could be the next Prime Minister of Canada. He might not be. Justin Trudeau could end up getting ousted by his own party. And we have, uh, you know, if you're a praying kind, you may want to pray or do a sign of the cross right now. Uh, Prime Minister Christian Freeland could come in the next little while if Trudeau gets ousted and they replace him internally. And then the election is fought on an entirely different plane. But the whole point about Pierre Polyev right now is that while the media is talking about their caricature of him, he is speaking to real people about real concerns. And a lot of the discussion that we had about Pierre Polyev's campaign during the leadership race was about some red meat issues, things that might not be top of mind in a general election. For example, he spoke about the World Economic Forum and the fact that he would ban any of his campaign team members from going to the WF. Okay, fine. Might not be the issue you hear canvassing at the door, but it does matter to conservatives right now. CBC defunding, we'll get to this one in a couple of moments' time, matters a lot to conservatives. Is it the valid issue for people on election day? Maybe, maybe not, but it matters. But then you talk about other things that he also has addressed throughout his campaign, housing. One of his most widely viewed videos was a video of him standing in front of some, and I don't want to be offend, offend anyone here, but some you know pretty derelict Vancouver house talking about the price of it and speaking about how unattainable that dream of home ownership. In fact, I'd actually say it's not a dream. It's been a promise, that promise to a generation of home ownership, how unattainable that is for so many people. So Pierre Polyev is talking about these things that matter well, the media tries to frame him in a way that I just don't think will stick. And I want to play a couple of clips for you from his acceptance speech when he became the winner of the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, the leader of His Majesty's loyal opposition. And in particular, he took aim at, I think, where a lot of Canadians are about the federal government right now. And a government that, generally speaking under Trudeau, is looking down on people with scorn when they need help. Please downgrade their diets to cover the 10% year-over-year jump in food prices. Seniors delay their retirements and watch their life savings evaporate with inflation. 30-year-olds who did everything we asked them to do, got degrees, 
worked hard, are trapped in 400-square-foot apartments, or worse, their parents' basements, because house prices have doubled under this government. And those who do own homes are paying more interest on their mortgages, even though this government promised interest rates would not rise for years. Many are falling behind. And there are people in this country who are just hanging on by a thread. These are citizens of our country. We are their servants. We owe them hope. They don't need a government that sneers at them, looks down on them, calls them names. They don't need a government to run their lives. They need a government that can run a passport office. There's a, a remarkable contrast in that, a government that can run a passport office. Again, not the thing that might matter to the most people in this country. I mean, it matters if you're one of the people waiting in line for hours and hours to get a passport application in. People that have to like bring their camping gear, like they're buying tickets for like the comeback of ABBA or something. That might not be the thing that other people line up for. I would line up for that and bring my tent out. Okay, the comeback of Led Zeppelin, say. you know, So people do that to buy a passport now because, oh, you have to be there when it opens because, after all, if you don't get through, you're, you're not going to get a, a seat. And the thing about this is that how dare the government try to lecture Canadians about anything when it can't even do the most fundamentally basic things, the things that the private sector is, by mandate, not able to do, like issue passports. And the federal government is unable to do it. These are the things that Canadians are seeing. These are the things that Canadians are experiencing. And Canadians are hurting. I shared a story and I shared, actually, I might've even shared the clip. I was at a, a dinner at the, um, I'm trying to remember what the venue was. It was in Toronto anyway. And it was by the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers of Canada. And they were honoring independent media. And True North was uh, one of the recipients of the award. And I was there to accept it on True North's behalf. And Pierre Polyev was also there. And he, he spoke at the time about this incident that had happened on the campaign trail where a woman was really mad, was yelling, was shouting, was heckling, had bought into this sort of online conspiracy about him. And Pierre Polyev was talking about how his wife, Anna, who spoke Saturday night, was very graceful with the woman and took her by the hand and kind of refuted point by point and showed her grace, showed her love and said, you know, why are you so mad? And what the woman had said is that she had lost both her sons to fentanyl overdoses. And I don't know the circumstances. I can't even remember the city it was. I think it was Northern Ontario or something. But the gist of it was that people are hurting and they are. And I don't think Justin Trudeau recognizes that. If he does, I don't think he cares. I think Justin Trudeau is so disconnected from the subjects over which he rules that he has no idea what real pain is. And he certainly has no idea how pervasive that pain is in Canadian society. And when you have a government that is looking over a population of people that cannot afford to go to the grocery store, that cannot afford to fill up their cars, and he has the audacity to start playing wedge political games about people's vaccination status. And he starts race baiting, accusing them of being uh, white supremacists, misogynists, neo-Nazis, people who have barely been hanging on by a thread and now have been told by the government you are not allowed to go visit your dying relative in another province because you can't get on a plane. Or people that have been told you don't actually deserve to keep your job for the federal government in some way or for the civil service or for the federally regulated industry in which you might have worked because we don't agree with your personal choice. And 
Trudeau doesn't know or doesn't care. And this is a wide open berth for some other politician to walk through to say, you know what, I actually do hear the people and I do represent the people and I do understand the people's pain. And that doesn't even need to be a conservative. There's nothing inherently partisan about recognizing the humanity of the people that live in your country. But Justin Trudeau has made it partisan by spitting on the very people who most need to be recognized, the very people who most need to be understood. Because they are the people that in some cases are absolutely teetering on the edge. And it's shameful that we have a government that just continues to look down on these people, continues to insult them, to mock them, to hold them in contempt, and then wonder why they are disenfranchised. Wonder why they are not exactly confident in the institutions that government tells them to protect and to uphold and to, to support. I want to share enough, if I can, of Pierre Polyev's acceptance speech talking about that very issue, the pain that people in Canada are enduring. Right now, we have people who can't afford to pay for their kids' food. And if four and five Canadians have actually cut their diets in order to deal with the 10% year-over-year increase in food prices. We have countless young adults still living in their parents' basements, stuck in small apartments. I met a guy in Timmins who told me he couldn't afford the $2.50 a liter diesel price to gas up his truck and drive over to Thunder Bay and say goodbye to his dying parents one last time. Another worker in St. John's told me that he had to tape up his work boots, which he showed me, because he can't afford new ones. And I meet seniors all the time whose savings are evaporating because of 40-year highs in inflation. They don't know how they're going to live out their days. Canadians are hurting, and it is our job to transform that hurt into hope, and that is my mission. From Pierre Polyev speaking to the Conservative Caucus this morning, his debut address, which largely was about unity, but he touched on some of the very themes that I think will guide the Conservatives' messaging over the next weeks, months, years, however it takes, however long it takes to get to the federal election. And I want to share, I referenced this before, this was a a Toronto Star editorial cartoon by Theo Moudakis that I think speaks to some of this media hysteria we're talking about here. And it, it has everything. So I'm going to do like a, a full analysis of this tweet in the next minute if I can. So you can see it on the screen there. It's first off, Trump is now calling Pierre Polyev. So we've already got the Trump connection in there. And he says, a word of advice, my friend, do not hide anything at home. And then Pierre Polyev is standing at the top of his stairs with a really squinty expression, pouty lips. He's on the cell phone. He's looking down. And at the bottom of his stairs are, I believe, Aaron O'Toole and Jean Charest. And the guy in the bottom left looks like Ronald Reagan, but I think it's like a very, very old Patrick Brown. Uh, and they're tied up and he's labeled them moderates, conservative moderates. And there are two people on the other side as well. I don't know, maybe Christy Clark is one of them. And the the, the image here is that uh, Pierre Polyev has tied up in a weird basement bondage dungeon all the moderates in the Conservative Party of Canada. 
And it, it's a strange message for a number of reasons, because for, for starters, I don't know if you'd want to have Aaron O'Toole or Jean Charest or Patrick Brown bound up in your basement. It seems like a strange pastime, but I'm not one to judge. The other part of this, though, is that 68.15% of the points went to Pierre Polyev. 70%, I believe, of the raw vote went to Pierre Polyev of conservative members. This is about as decisive and clear a mandate as you can get in an internal election. This is more decisive than Stephen Harper's showing of votes. He got, I think it was like 56 or 58% of the points and 68% of the popular vote when he ran for the leadership against Peter McKay going back however many years. So Pierre Polyev has won pretty decisively. And if you talk to people on his team, and if you look at the people on his team, it isn't just this like far right flank that the Toronto Star's delusional fantasies uh, believe are there. It was people that were from the red Tory side, the blue Tory side. There were some social conservatives. There were libertarians or people from all different parts of this so-called big blue tent that seemed to rally behind Pierre Polyev's leadership. Now, I'm not saying he didn't appeal to the right flank, but I go back to what I said about people hurting right now. These are not partisan issues. If you want to talk about expanding the base, you have to talk about things that you can discuss that really tap into, that really tap into the conservative sentiment that is already there without abandoning that, without diluting it, without watering it down. I want to just share a clip of exactly why this is so important. This was Justin Trudeau responding in a roundabout way to Pierre Polyev's leadership. Our job as a government is to build an economy where everyone is ready to thrive in a net zero world. An economy where everyone has real opportunities for meaningful work. An economy where people can count on their neighbors, on their communities, and yes, on their governments, to have their backs through difficult times in the present and into the future. To do this, we all need to work together. Now is not the time for politicians to exploit fears and to pit people one against the other. Now is not the time to pit people against each other. Uh, that, that time was like, you know, six months ago when the Freedom Convoy was on and Justin Trudeau said they were all like racist swastika waivers. That was the time to do that. Now is not the time. The time passed. That was old. That was old news. We don't do that now. Okay, well, we'll see if that holds up. I want to talk about this in a bit more of a broad context here, specifically as it regards the conservative movement in the country. And I, I want to make clear, we're obviously to the Conservative Party of Canada because this party did just elect a leader, but uh, he is a movement conservative, Pierre Polyev. And, and that term I find often gets lost in the partisan discourse. But remember, it's a lot bigger, the conservative movement with a small C, than the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, Jamil Giovanni is the new president of the Canada Strong and Free Network. And we had him on the show just after he was named the president at their uh, big uh, conference in Ottawa a couple of months ago. But he joins me on the line now. Jamil, good to talk to you, sir. Explain to me, I mean, this idea of a conservative movement, I, I think, is lost on a lot of people. And I don't think in Canada we've always done a, a good enough job at fostering this. So tell me how that really unfolds from your perspective at the Canada Strong and Free Network, first off. 
Yeah, I think you made an excellent point, Andrew, when you said that the conservative movement is bigger than the conservative party. And I think that's important for people to realize is that being a conservative isn't about wearing a certain team jersey or being involved in politics. You know, a lot of people will never work in politics. They'll never run for office. But they'll may maybe they vote in different ways. Maybe they don't vote at all, but they can have conservative values. They can have a conservative outlook on the world. And that can be, as you said, cultural stuff. It can be economic. It can be all sorts of different things. You know, there's decades and centuries worth of writing and thinking about what it means to be a conservative. And I'd be hard pressed to summarize that now. But what I would say is that, you know, it is around basic ideas around family, community, small government, pro-business, pro-economic growth, about the idea that people should uh, have the chance to live according to their own values and not have those uh, values um, infringed upon by a government uh, that wants to sort of force uniformity onto the people. A lot of basic ideas that I think conservatives do agree on, even though we do have lots of disagreements as well. And at the Canada Strong and Free Network, we try to be a place where people can come together across the conservative spectrum, share their ideas, debate ideas, at the end of the day, be a bit of a, a, a training ground for the sorts of things that might become reality should, you know, conservatives run governments. You know, we want to be able to produce policy thinking and, uh, you know, cultural thinking that might influence the way governments, uh, you know, make decisions at some point down the road, uh, whether that's in the short term or the long term. So it's very exciting to be part of the movement because we welcome you regardless of whether, uh, you know, the Conservative Party wins an election or not. We welcome you regardless of whether you like the, the particular leader of a conservative party at a given time. And as you said, the interesting thing about someone like Pierre Polyev is that he does unite the party and the movement in a way that hasn't been true for some time now. You know, I, I think with, under Aaron O'Toole, there was a pretty big gap between the party and the movement on a number of issues. Pierre Polyev steps in and I think has closed that gap in a way that's really helpful. Yeah, it's always difficult for anyone to live in the shadow of a predecessor. And I, I almost I, I feel bad about holding up Stephen Harper as the benchmark of what an ideal conservative leader should be, because obviously his government wasn't perfect. No government is. But I, I do think that Pierre Polyev has tapped into that Harper coalition and even moved beyond it. I mean, the Freedom Convoy coalition, if I can call it that, or the anti-mandate coalition, which he's really spoken to, is not at all filled with partisan conservatives. And, and I think that even talking to some of these issues has really helped him move beyond what even Stephen Harper had. Like, I remember I was at a, a rally of, of Polyevs in, in London, Ontario, and he was doing it at the Best Western Hotel, which is like a big event space in, in London that has all these conferences. And uh, Jenny Byrne, who was on his campaign and also was uh, integral to the Harper government, uh, she and I were speaking and she said, like, even when Harper did rallies here, we weren't filling that overflow room that we were for Pierre Polyev. So, so to get that many people out in a leadership event for someone compared to like what a sitting prime minister who had a fair amount of star power was able to do, this is something quite significant. Yeah, and I think it's because Pierre Polyev has become synonymous with change for people. You know, those crowds come out because they're looking for something new, looking for something different. They want to break away from the Trudeau administration. They want a different way of doing politics, a different way of, of governing. And Pierre Polyev represents that. I mean, that is why I think he was able to pick up so much momentum from the trucker convoy, is that mm -hmm. the trucker convoy was an expression of a desire for change. People were frustrated with the Trudeau government. 
and Pierre Polyev has represented much of the same thing to people. And so, you know, that's that's something that on the right we have not had in a very long time, you know, that, that, that the conservative party would be the counterculture party, the party that's challenging people in power, the party that's going to hold, you know, the wealthy to account for creating a system that in many ways is disadvantaging a lot of middle class and working class families. I mean, that is exciting, I think, for conservatives. And that's why he's getting a crowd unlike anything we've seen before, because people are hungry for something different. And now we've got a guy who's actually offering that. And the thing about Pierre too, and this is something that a lot of his critics, including sort of the red Tories sometimes don't want to acknowledge, but he's also a substantive guy. He's got ideas for policy. He has a vision for how he would govern. And I think being able to back up that demand for change with real tangible ideas, that's that's going to be a recipe for success, I think. Yeah, I mean, when Polyev went on kind of- of the Bitcoin during the leadership race. I know a lot of people were mocking it. And I went to one of his events, which was at like a, a shawarma place that has been very big into cryptocurrency. And I was talking to a lot of the people there who, again, have never really been political because they're crypto people. So their whole ethos is just like, leave us alone and let us live our lives. And they were getting excited about him. And, and you could tell when he was talking about Bitcoin that this was like a policy nerd that was really just geeking out on something that mattered to him personally. And I actually kind of like that in politicians that actually believe something from their personal lives and are, are importing it. I mean, same as Maxime Bernier in supply management. Like, again, you could tell he believes that and he wants to have his little policy wonk nerd out over it. And I think we need more of that. I, I mean, I, I'm so tired of politicians that could not summon an independent thought if their life depended on it. Yeah. Now, look, Andrew, I'm not going to pretend I understand Bitcoin at all. That's it honestly just goes way over my head. So I can't. I understand shawarma. I I don't understand Bitcoin (laughs) either with with a lot of. So you're not alone there. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, no, I could definitely do shawarma too. Bitcoin, I'm not as as familiar with. But um, you're right. Like even on things like when he talks about, you know, removing gatekeepers for newcomers to Canada so that they can. Uh, you know, get a job in the profession they've been trained in. He's got specific policies, right? He's talking about certain waiting periods where people have to be informed whether they can get a job or not. Like he's got some specific ideas. And even on things like housing, he's talked about, you know, withholding certain funding to municipalities unless they're willing to change their zoning laws. You know, these are specific, tangible policy ideas. And I think that, again, I I know that his critics, especially his critics who call themselves uh, conservative, they um, are going to question, you know, whether he's got the substantive uh, backup on these ideas. But I think it, you know, the, the reality is clear. I mean, he has specific policy ideas. And I think as more Canadians hear them, they'll realize that this is not the guy that a lot of the media has made him out to be. He's not consumed by anger. He's not some kind of like caricature of populism. He's a guy who's got real ideas that might make uh, the economy a bit more fair to the average person and make opportunity more available to the average person. And I think that's exactly what Canadians are looking for. Yeah, it's funny how so many of the attacks from within and without the conservative movement, or I guess not a lot of these are from the conservative movement, but nevertheless, they're all the same no matter who's there. Like QP put out a statement this morning and they were like, you could tell they just dug out their attack on Andrew Scheer and they were trying to find a way to like make it work on Pierre Polyev. This was a line. It's too bad that unlike Andrew Scheer, Pierre Polyev does not hold American citizenship because he would be right at home as a governor of state of a state like Alabama. And it's like, 
So they had like come up with this like witty attack in uh, 2019 and they didn't get the chance to use it. They're like, let's, let's, let's find out. Okay. If he were American, then he would be like, it's, but when, when people see this or that car, car, cartoon I played earlier from the Toronto uh, star of like, you know, Aaron O'Toole bundled up in Pierre Baliev's bondage dungeon. It's like, I have to assume that most people will just see that and see the guy with the photogenic family talking about inflation and be like, I, I don't, yeah, I don't really see how those two things connect. You know, first off, it's like they mention Alabama or like the United States, like we're supposed to like hate America. Like it's just so it's weird. Yeah, we're that, supposed to all like not, Alabama's yeah. supposed to be like trigger the Pavlovian response of like, oh yeah, we hate them. Yeah, like I mean, you know, like Martin Luther King marched in Alabama. Like Alabama actually has been home to a lot of people who do good things and fight for good things. Like it's weird to me when they mention America as if we're supposed to be like hating our biggest trade partner in the first place. But nonetheless, to your bigger point, Andrew, I think you're absolutely right. Like this is a game plan, right? This is a playbook we've seen used over and over and over again, which is designed to make um, you know, basically borrow Democrat talking points that are used to attack Republicans, act somehow like our countries are the exact same and use the exact same criticisms against Canadian conservatives. It's like, you know, there's not a single Canadian conservative with any uh, record of success in decades who has campaigned against things like universal health care. You don't see it. And yet you would think from listening to people at QP or the Toronto Star that there is no difference between Canadian conservatives and Republicans. There are meaningful differences, right? And so they just try to play this game where they import American culture wars and they think Canadians aren't smart enough to see what they're doing. But unfortunately for them, I think a lot of Canadians are smart enough to see what they're doing. And you can't just keep saying things like Trump, Trump, Trump and thinking that that's an argument because that actually doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And I, the one thing I've always said, too, is, is that we know the media attacks and the activist attacks are going to come. And I, I think that the one big thing, and I sort of view independent media as being essential to this, is ensuring that when a politician does say something that is markedly conservative, that there's a base of support there willing to back them up. Because you, you have to counter that natural instinct that a lot of them have. And we certainly saw in Aaron O'Toole to scurry at the first sign of pushback by saying, actually, no, as, as Canadians, we do believe that. And we do agree with that. And I, I go back to that conservative movement discussion. And I want to talk to you about this event you have coming up in Red Deer on September 24th. And I'm very privileged to get to be uh, not just speaking, but I'm going to be doing a live broadcast of the Andrew Lawton show, which I've never actually done before a live audience before. So that's going to be on September 24th in Red Deer. Uh, but tell me what this event is first off. Well, it is a conference for the movement. And to your point earlier, it's about getting people together outside of the political party to think about what does it mean to be a conservative? What are some of the ideas that conservatives are excited about? And what is the role of the conservative movement in building, as you put it, that base of support for ideas so that conservative politicians know what we expect of them and they can go out and actually act on behalf of the conservative base, of conservative voters, of families that are looking for change in this country right now. So on the 24th in Red Deer, Alberta, we're going to get together and start what I think is going to be a process over the coming months and years of building out a set of ideas 
for what the next conservative government might actually be held accountable for. What are we expecting of them? What do we want them to do? So I see our, our conference on the 24th as an opportunity to start that conversation, get some thought leaders together, get some newsmakers together and start building out that vision for what we believe a conservative future might look like. So, you know, you being there and doing your uh, show live is going to be really exciting. We'll have Andrew Shear there to kick things off and talk about what he thinks the takeaways and lessons learned from the Polyev campaign success uh, is. Uh, Jason Kenny will be there to give one of his last speeches as Premier of Alberta. And then we'll also have all, six of the UCP leadership candidates there to talk about their vision for how to you know, do a uh, battle with the NDP uh, when the general election comes in a few months. So there's gonna be a lot of interesting things on the table. And I think it's important for conservatives to build these kind of relationships, to debate ideas, exchange ideas, and importantly remind ourselves, because so many conservatives, especially young conservatives tell me all the time, they feel alone on university campuses. They feel like they can't say what they believe in their workplace. They're worried they're going to be ostracized if they're outed as a conservative. And we're trying to you know, do these sorts of events to remind people you're far from alone. There's tons of people who think like you. There's tons of people who want you to be successful. Come and network with us. Let's build this movement together so we can have each other's backs. It is a great all-star panel you have, and I'm not including myself in the all-star category. I'm just going to be uh, doing my little bit. And also, by the way, shameless plug, I'll be signing copies of my book, The Freedom Convoy, there. So if you do come and uh, want to hear Andrew Shear and Jason Kenney and me and the UCP leadership candidates, you can also grab a copy of my book while you're there. But the one thing that I, I really find to be important about these things, first off, after the last two and a half years, anything that gets me in the room with normal people is I think a very, very good thing. Uh, and you know, we saw a lot of these people in Ottawa at the uh, Canada Strong and Free Network uh, conference back in, I think it was like April or May. The, the last few months has May, blended yeah. together. But the other thing that I, I would bring up is that there's always something tangible that I've gotten out of these about you know, what it is that you can actually do. Because I think a lot of the times, you know, we can talk about policies and talk about ideas and uh, we can we can find some common ground or, you know, strengthen our ability to, you know, sharpen our rhetorical knives and all of that. But, but when you come out of these things, there's always been something I found, going back to the Manning Center conferences, very tactical about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, well, I think we have to recognize that we're, you know, if we want to sort of change the direction of this country, we've got to get active, right? So it's not like the typical networking where you might just collect some business cards and, you know, go for coffee. When we talk about networking at the Canada Strong and Free Network, we're talking about strategizing, game planning, figuring out how we can support one another, uh, figuring out how we can encourage one another. You're right. There is a, a goal here to be action oriented and you can there's no way you could come to one of our conferences and not leave with a sense of where you're needed because everyone is needed and i think what we try to do is make the case of the different play, ways that people can get involved in the movement the different roles that are out there the different organizations that are out there the different issues that we need people to be working on and thinking about so yeah anybody listening who'd like to come out please do check us out the website is canadastrongandfree.network you can also hit me up on social media at Jamil Giovanni on Instagram, on Twitter, where we post the links to the conference. The uh, early bird ticket prices are still up until the end of the week. So we encourage you to register. And uh, yeah, I mean, and, and it's really, we're blessed to have people with the kind of vision that you do, Andrew. And I think this is something that's unique about what we do, what you do 
um, as opposed to other political, you know, organizations or movements in the country. I think a lot of conservatives are drawn to the movement for the best reasons, because they really believe in the cause. They want to do something for other people. They want to use their voice for good. And I think, you know, people who feel that way will find a lot of like-minded individuals at conferences like ours. Well, I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm I'm honored to have the opportunity to take part. And I actually, apart from like a, an event I did in Toronto, this is like the first ever book signing I've, I've done, certainly in Alberta. So uh, glad to be there. Hope to see a lot of you who are tuned in there as well. Do come and say hello. Uh, Jamil Giovanni, president of the Canada Strong and Free Network. We'll see you in Red Deer in a couple of weeks. Yeah, see you in Red Deer, Andrew. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Right, thanks a lot. That was Jamil Giovanni. Great friend of True North and I'd say friend of the conservative movement. So I, again, I think when he invited me, I was like, maybe, maybe like tried to play it cool by like waiting five minutes or something. But I was like, looked in the calendar and I'm like, yep, I'm doing it. Uh, so <laughs> thank you very much to uh, all of you for uh, the kind words on this. Uh, one thing I want to really say here is that we can talk about, and when I say conservative movement, I, I'm I'm including libertarians, I'm including fiscal conservatives, I'm including foreign policy conservatives, I'm including a lot of like populist conservatives and all of that. But I think the huge part of this, the huge part of this for the majority of Canadians, I think should be about freedom. And I, I'm not promoting Pierre Polyev here. I'm explaining why it is that he did something why it is he did what he did, why it is that he resonated with so many Canadians and so many conservative members. And he actually summed up quite well, I thought, what it is that unifies all of these different factions of conservatism. And before we close the show today, I want to play this clip. This was from my first interview with Pierre Polyev of the conservative leadership race shortly after he declared. A lot of the time, I mean, everyone knows the saying, the big blue tent, and underneath that, you've got your red Tories, your blue Tories, your libertarians, your social conservatives, your foreign policy people, your popular. I mean, you have all of these different people here. Where do you fit yourself? And more importantly, what are you going to do to keep that tent together, to keep that family happy, which, as we've seen in the last couple of years, isn't always a given? Where do I fit? I'm a conservative a real conservative, and I haven't left the Conservative Party to become a liberal uh, for a decade like uh, Jean Charest did. I'm a conservative. Um, how do I keep them all, everyone together? Well, let's break it down. Um, and let's focus on the principle that unites all the different groups that you just listed, and that principle is freedom. So progressive conservatives want women, gays, minorities, immigrants, First Nations to have the freedom to pursue their own path and achieve their potential free from discrimination. Fiscal conservatives want economic freedom, that is control over your own money, the ability to start a business unimpeded by government gatekeepers. Social conservatives want religious freedom to raise their kids with their own traditional values and preach their faith without censorship. Rural and firearms conservatives want the freedom to own their own property legally without undue government confiscation or penalties, like when Jean Charest supported the long gun registry uh, that wasted a billion dollars. Uh, and so if you look across the board at all of the different branches of conservatism, all of them, the many, they disagree on many things, but they all agree on one thing, and that is that we need more freedom. That's why I'm running for prime minister to put people back in control of their lives and make Canada the freest country on earth. 
Pierre Polyev early on in the conservative leadership race, hence the digs at Jean Charest. But I think the point of that is that he has a message that he's articulated, which is one of freedom. And it is the role of independent media, it is the role of True North to ensure that he does not waver from that. I mean, we all know of the so-called pivot that happens after you win the conservative leadership, the pivot that Andrew Scheer did, the pivot that Aaron O'Toole did, and the pivot that on some issues Pierre Polyev may do. And I'm not at all perturbed if his message uh, style changes, delivery changes. I don't care about that. What I do care is if the message changes. Pierre Polyev has made some very specific promises, like defunding CBC, like ending the liberal gun grab, like supporting conscience rights. These are things that I think are absolute deal breakers for a lot of conservative voters, for a lot of right-leaning Canadians. And you better believe True North will hold him to account on those, as we did, as we did for Aaron O'Toole. And we will do that for Pierre Polyev. So he has said a lot of the right things for our audience throughout the course of the leadership race. That's absolutely true. But he has to make sure that his actions follow through on those words. And we have the clips. We have the receipts, as they say. So we are going to end things there. I do want to just say very much a huge thank you to all those who you uh, who tuned into our live conservative leadership results show on Saturday night. It was a great pleasure. We beat CBC. I mean, that's not that it takes that much effort, but we beat CBC and we did it without $1.4 billion. So I think there are two things to take away from that. Number one, I think I'm asking Candace for like a $100 million raise because clearly True North has earned it. But I also would say that it is so tremendously important to continue supporting independent media. This means by sharing and watching, which thank you to those of you who do, and also financially. I know it's tough. I know people are struggling. But if you are able and if you think there's a value for what we're doing, please do head on over to donate.tnc.news. We will say adieu there, and I'll be back tomorrow with a very special guest on the show. It's not Pierre Polyev. I don't want to oversell it. But we do have a very special guest on tomorrow's show. Uh, so you do want to tune in for that. I think we're starting at 5 p.m. Eastern. That's 2 p.m. Pacific and 6.30 p.m. in Newfoundland and Labrador. So uh, thanks to all of you. We will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Thank you. God bless and good day. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.